Well, we're glad you're here uh, tonight, and again, we're in Psalm 145. If you look there at the top of your sheet, the title of the class is How Great Is Our God? And tonight, we're going to talk about how God is transcendent and imminent. Those are fun words, aren't they? Transcendent and imminent. You say, Wade, never heard those words before. That's okay. I'm going to explain them to you, and it's important that we don't just kind of stay at arm's length from from weighty theological concepts, because this comes from the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, it's important, right? And so we need to learn what the Bible says about God, so that we can know about Him, so that we can know Him more personally and more intimately, so that we can grow in our love for Him and worship for Him, so that we can articulate Him to a culture that is very confused when you say the word God. As a matter of fact, if you want to see how confused our culture is about God, go to Google and type in God and hit enter. You won't believe the things that come up. So if we're going to engage a very confused culture about God, we've got to know who God is and what the Bible says so we can articulate that to a very confused world. So hopefully all of that will happen as we walk through this study in the coming days. Now, just a quick word about Psalm 145. If you notice there, it says in the small letters right before verse 1, a song of praise of David. Just kind of an interesting note, that little subscript there is actually verse 1 in the Hebrew Bible. The little small letters right before verse 1 in the Psalms are actually listed as verse 1 in the Hebrew uh, Bible. And so it's just important to realize that that is inspired text. God gave us that text. This is a song of praise. The song is intended to praise God. And David wrote it. And David was a very skilled uh, worshiper. And he wrote many of our psalms, and he wrote this one. And when you look at how this psalm is structured, it's amazing because it's a Hebrew acrostic. Hebrew acrostic means that the first verse starts with the first Hebrew letter, Aleph. And the next verse goes to the next Hebrew letter, Beit. And Gimel, Dalet, Hey, Vav, Zion, it goes through the entire Hebrew alphabet, stanza by stanza. So it's a poetic device that people use in Hebrew culture to write a poem and have some kind of some structure to it going through the alphabet. If we were if we were going to use that same methodology writing a poem, our first stanza would be amazing. God is amazing. That'd be stanza number one. The next one would be blessed be our great God. A B. The next one would be C can you imagine a greater God than our God? You know, can we A, B, C, D? And, and, and that's how this, this uh, psalm is written. I think there are about seven in the, the psalm, seven acrostics, and this is the last of the acrostics in the Psalter. So it's, it's very interesting to see this pattern develop. You don't see it in your English text because, again, it's the Hebrew alphabet, but it's pretty awesome. Now let's talk about our, our phrases. God is transcendent. And God is in. I want to define these for you, but first I want to read Psalm 145, verses 1 through 3. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. So you see at the very beginning of this psalm what it's all about. David wants to extol God. He wants to praise God. And notice there, he says, every day I will bless you. In other words, David's Hunger to worship God wasn't limited to one day of the week. 
if there's something that is, that is killing American Christianity, it's that we have designed our experience with God around just one day. And, and we get all of our God on Sunday, but we don't walk with Him on Monday. And we don't worship Him on Tuesday. And we don't talk with Him on Wednesday. And we don't talk about Him on Thursday. And we don't think about Him on Friday. And we ignore Him on Saturday. But we come back Sunday excited about the Lord, right? That's not how it's designed to work. God is so great, listen, that He's worthy of your praise every day of the week. And David says, Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever and ever. And then he gets to transcendence. God is transcendent. Look what he says in verse 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. His greatness is unsearchable. When you think of the, the phrase, God is transcendent, I want you to think of this. And this is in your notes. God is above us. Now that's kind of a simplistic way to think about it, but I think it'll help you. When you think about God being transcendent, think that God is above us. He created the universe. He created you and me. He created the heavens, the earth. And God is over all of that. He rules and reigns outside of the universe, over the universe. He is He is great. He is transcendent. He is above the created order. He's above you. He's above me. He's above the universe. He is great. How great is he? His greatness is unsearchable. We'll talk about that some more in a moment. So when you think about God being transcendent, think God is what? Above us. Now, let's look at this next phrase, God is imminent. A good way to think about this, and again, this is simplistic, but it helps you. Think of God being beside us. If, if transcendence means God is above us, eminence means that God is beside us. Or, let me say it another way, God is near us. And look what it says in Psalm 145. He mentions transcendence in verse 3, the greatness, the unsearchability of God in verse 3. But look what he says down in verses 14 through 18. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, satisfy the desire of every living thing. So here's this God who is above us, reigning over creation, and yet he cares enough about his creation to supply their needs. And it says, verse 18, The Lord, here it is, this is eminence, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. So this great God who is above us, who is over the universe, reigning over the universe, has chosen to be near us, to be beside us. And that's a pretty incredible thought, is it not? And that's what I mean by the fact that God is imminent. So you can't understand God's nearness. You can't, let me say it like this. You can't appreciate God's nearness unless you understand his transcendence. In other words, no big deal. If God is just some kind of grandfather figure that just kind of hanging out in heaven on a, you know, this rocking chair and in heaven and just kind of this, this kind, benevolent figure that, that uh, is not glorious and not awesome and not majestic, if that's your conception of God, just, you know, the grandfather in the sky, then nearness is no big deal. That's what grandfathers are supposed to do, right? 
But if you understand that God is not a grandpa in the sky, but he is the one who simply spoke and the universe leapt into existence. He is the glorious God Almighty. If you see it from that perspective, the transcendence of God, then you'll say his nearness is a big deal. The fact that that God, who is so great, wants to be beside me, that's incredible. So we need to learn these two things together, the transcendence and the imminence of God. So wait, this is the only passage that speaks of it? Oh, of course not. Look over in Psalm 113 with me very quickly. Psalm 113. You see the same emphasis Look in verse 2. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. Is that speaking of transcendence or eminence? Transcendence, right? He's high above the heavens. His glory above the heavens. He's not, he's not just in heaven, He's above heaven, Right? Who is like our God, who is seated on high? So the psalmist here is saying, God is transcendent. He is above us. He is high. He is exalted. He's he's big. But look at the next verse. Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. In other words, the psalmist is saying saying this. This great transcendent God cares about people that are dealing with poverty and a mother that is struggling to have a child. He cares about those folks. He's a God that, that draws near, a God who is imminent. And so the Bible speaks of this all throughout its pages. Let me give you one more example. Turn to Isaiah. New Testament book of I'm sorry, Old Testament book of Isaiah, the last chapter, Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66, verse 1. The Bible says, Thus says the Lord, here it is, heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? In other words, you can't build a house big enough to contain me. That's what God's saying. All these things my hand has made, so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. So he says, I'm transcendent. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. He's big, right? He's using anthropomorphic language. Uh, He's giving himself human characteristics, sitting on a throne, to help us to understand his greatness. And he says there in verse 3, but, I'm sorry, verse 2, but... This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So he says here, even though I'm on my throne, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool, if I find someone who's humble and contrite of spirit, who sees that they need me, I will look to them. I'll turn to them. I'll I'll draw near to them. That speaks of eminence. Does everybody understand the concept? God is transcendent. 
God is imminent. Now let's go deeper and let's think through these concepts a little bit so we can kind of nail them down our own mind and hopefully lift or elevate our hearts to a place of greater worship for him. Let's talk about transcendence. I want to define it for you a little more detailed manner and then I want to give you some implications of God's transcendence for our lives, how that should affect our day-to-day living. So first of all, the transcendence of God defined. And this, tran- this definition comes from theologian by the name of Wayne Grudem. Uh, he wrote a systematic theology, big thick book of, of theology. And it's a, so it's a wonderful systematic theology because even though it's in depth, he uses very accessible language, very just ordinary common language to get it. He's very good at, at getting weighty concepts across in a very simple manner, which I, I, I need. I enjoy that. And so it, it's a good book. And he says this, The Bible teaches that God is distinct from his creation. He is not part of it, for he has made it and rules over it. The term often used to say that God is much greater than creation is the word transcendent. Very simply, this means that God is far above the creation in the sense that he is greater than the creation and he is independent of it. Does that make sense? What the word transcendent means. He's above creation, he's he's far above it, he's independent of it. And he rules and reigns over it. And so, if God is over creation, if he is above creation, how big is God? Because let's just think for a minute about how big creation is. And then we're going to come back to the point that God's bigger than that. So so how big is creation? Let me give you some, some astronomy facts. You ready? I love this kind of stuff. Let me just give you some facts, and, and this will kind of help you to put in your mind... Uh, to begin to grasp how big creation is. We have in our uh, galaxy, our solar system, we have the sun. And the planets in our solar system revolve around the sun. Everybody got that? You saw it in the sky today or felt its warmth or, or, or lived life by its light. Now, here's how big the sun is. You could fit... One million planet Earths in the sun. That's pretty incredible. You know how much a million is? That's a lot. You can fit one million Earths in the sun. And so that's a pretty incredible fact. But the sun is really not one of the larger stars in the universe. For example, let me tell you about a star named Betelgeuse, a larger star. In that star you could fit one billion suns. So this star is so big, you can take one billion of our sun in our solar system and put it in that star. One billion. Do you understand how big that is? Or you could take 262 trillion Earths and put it in that star. That's how big it is. 262 trillion planet Earths. Incredible, breathtaking size, and immensity. The largest star in the universe is Canis Majoris. It would take, listen to this, 9.3 billion suns to fill Canis Majoris. 9.3 billion. And you say, Wade, well, are stars uh, plentiful in in our universe, in our galaxy? Well, listen to this. According to astronomers, in the Milky Way galaxy alone, just in our our galaxy, there are anywhere from 100 to 4 billion stars just in our galaxy. So how many galaxies are there 
in the universe. Well, what we, from what we know, there could be anywhere from 100 to 4 billion galaxies in the universe. So take 100 billion galaxies times 100 billion stars, we're taking the lower numbers, and think about how many stars that is. The observable universe is around 47 billion light years in any direction. And that's just what we can kind of ascertain from, from looking, what we can kind of see and deduce from seeing the, the pattern of space. And here's the amazing thing. God made all of that just by speaking. He just spoke and the universe leapt into existence. And you know what the Bible says? Those 4 billion stars, one billion, uh, 400 billion, 100 billion stars, and 100 to 400 billion galaxies, the Bible says God knows them all by name. Wow. And so as big as the universe is, God is even bigger. He reigns over it. He, he created it just by speaking. He is a big God, a transcendent God. And, and it's hard to wrap your mind around that, but he is so great. That's why the psalmist here says in Psalm 145, your greatness is unsearchable, unsearchable. Now, what are the implications when it comes to God being transcendent, if he's that big, that glorious, that grand, that great, then how does that affect how we live, what we believe? How does that affect us? Well, let me give you some, some implications of God's transcendence. And, and this comes from Millard Erickson. He wrote a, a, a systematic theology as well, and it's, it's a very good theology. Very balanced presentation of the doctrines of our faith. And, and I read uh, this week a section on transcendence. And at the end of the chapter, he gave these, these implications. I thought, man, that's good stuff. So I'm giving them to you. I've rewarded them a little bit. But, but these are the, the implications for transcendence for your life and my life. You ready? In other words, so what, Wade? He's bigger than, you know, the, the universe. So what? Well, here it is. First of all, it reminds us there is something higher than humanity. There's something higher than humanity. Over in Psalm 119, we see that the Bible speaks to this. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. And so here's what that means. Because God is transcendent, because he's great, because he made us, and because he's spoken, he becomes the reference point for our lives. Listen to me. It's not about you. It's not about me. The universe doesn't revolve around us. The universe declares the glory of God. It's all about Him. And so God, who is transcendent, who is great, who made you and everything we see... God is the reference point for humanity. And that's important because we get things in, in all sorts of, of turmoil when we forget this. You see, humanity is not the highest good in the universe or the highest measure of truth and value. Truth, listen to me, is not determined by the shifting opinions of this world. 
doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says. God has spoken. And what God says is truth. He's the reference point because he made it all. He gets to call the shots, right? The one who makes heaven his throne and the earth his footstool is the one who has every right to tell us what's true and to tell us how we ought to live our lives. He is the reference point. And if we, if we miss that, we are headed for destruction. Transcendence means that God is the, is the reference point. He, there's something higher than humanity. We don't look to each other for truth and value. We look to God because he's the one that made us. And so there is something higher than humanity. When you take humanity in and of itself, and take all of its acquired wisdom through the centuries, all of our collective wisdom is as a drop in the bucket to the God who made everything and reigns over the universe. We need to turn our eyes to Him for truth. Not to each other, but to Him. Not majority opinion, but to Him, because He made it all, right? Here's the second implication of transcendence. God can never be completely captured in human concepts. Look over in Romans 11 with me. Let me show you a really cool verse. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. And to really do this passage justice, you've got you to understand the, the flow of thought in this letter where Paul talks about the, the sinfulness of humanity, but the glory of the gospel, what God has done in Christ to save us and how we are saved by faith. And, and then he talks about how saved people are sanctified and changed, where God takes them from being a, a slave of sin and they become a slave of righteousness. And he begins to change them by his indwelling Holy Spirit because we're dead to sin, alive to him. And, and then in, verse, in chapters, uh, end of chapter 8, chapter 9, he talks about the sovereignty of God over everything. And he begins to, to try to grapple with God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in, in embracing his gospel and, he, and, he, and he's writing all these things and it's almost like Paul gets to a point where his mind is just blown. And he just, he just breaks into doxology. Instead of just teaching, he just says, I gotta just stop and I gotta just praise him for a minute. And look what he says in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. And how inscrutable, that word inscrutable means you can't figure them out. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him, through him, to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So Paul just has to praise him, right? And here's how he praises him. God is so big, you can't figure him out. You can't figure him out. We'll never completely wrap our mind around God using human concepts. I love this quote from the old Puritan preacher, Matthew Henry. He writes, His greatness indeed cannot be comprehended, for it is unsearchable. Who can conceive or express how great God is? But then it is so much the more to be praised. When we cannot, by searching, find the bottom, we must sit down at the brink and adore the depth. I like that. In other words, when you realize you'll never figure God out because he's just that big, instead of trying to figure him out, you'll just pause and say, I'm grateful I have a God that I can't figure out. 
I'm grateful that I worship a God who is inscrutable. He's revealed some things about himself. I believe those things, but I'll never, I'll never get to the bottom of who God is. I'll never mind the depths of who God is. From now, and listen to this, into all eternity, I'm going to be learning more and more and more of the greatness of God. You mean to tell you what heaven's going to be like? Heaven is not us floating on a cloud playing a harp. Get that idea out of your head. Heaven is going to be thrilling. The, the Bible says in Revelation we're going to be serving God and, 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 and entering the gates of the new Jerusalem on the new heavens and the new earth. And in heaven, we're never going to get to the end of the knowledge of God. Every day, forever, because God is infinite, every day, forever, we're going to learn more and more and more about how great God is. Isn't that incredible? We're never in eternity going to say, well, I'm done with that class. I know all about God now. No. He is unfathomable. He is infinite. His, his goodness, His greatness, His being knows no boundaries. And so forever and ever and ever. That's why I love the song Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. 10,000 years from now, you know what we'll be doing? We'll be praising God because we'll be discovering more and more about God to praise. That's awesome, isn't it? And so God can never be completely captured by human concepts, and that's a good thing. You know, I've, I've been to, to, to nations where they worship idols. I can figure that out. Some guy went to the woods and cut down a tree. It talks about this in Isaiah. He used some of the wood to cook a meal on. He used some of the wood to light a fire to keep the house warm. And he takes part of the wood from the tree and he crafts an idol. And then he puts it in the corner of his home and begins to worship that idol. Made by his hands. I can figure that out, right? I can figure out idolatry because I, you know, an idol is something I made. But God is not made by us. He made us. He's the creator. We didn't create him. And so he is beyond finding out. God can never be completely captured in human concepts. Why? Because he is transcendent. We need to, we need to realize that. I'll give you an example of this. And, and soon, I'm not sure I'm going to do it on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, but I'm going to do a, a, a series on the Trinity. Because uh, it's on my heart, and I think it's important for the church today. There's so much confusion out there, and I want to teach on the doctrine of the Trinity. But when it comes to the doctrine of the Trinity, people want to give you illustrations, don't they? They want to try to illustrate it to kind of get it in their mind. And, and, and all earthly illustrations fail. They don't work. As a matter of fact, most of them teach heresies. And, and so it's just the, the desire to say, okay, I want to understand God, so I need to say God is like this. But none of them will help us to mind the depths of who God is. Now, let's go to the next implication of transcendence. Our salvation is not through our initiative. That's important. 1 John 4.19 says, We love God because He first loved us. If you have a relationship with God, it's because He initiated His work in your life. Now here's, here's how transcendence speaks to this issue. If God is this great, this awesome, and he is above the heavens, how could man ever find God in and of his own limited wisdom? 
We can never, ever find God in and of ourselves. The only way we could ever be saved is if God came to us first and revealed to us some things about himself and revealed good news about how a person is saved. And so transcendence means you can't work your way to God. You've got to, you've got to embrace what God has revealed to you by coming to you first. He's transcendent. You can't make it to God in your own street. You can't devise some type of religion that makes you right with a transcendent God. You've got to know his way to be saved. And he's the one that's revealed that to us. Next, there will always be a difference between God and humans. There will always be a difference between God and humans. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. I'm, I'm, I'm far above your thoughts. I'm far above your ways. God is saying there is a difference between us because God is the creator. We are the creatures. He is infinite. We are finite. God has made us and, and he's made us in his image, but we're not God, right? There's no spark of divinity in us as some world religions teach. We are creatures, who God loves and who God redeems through his son, Jesus Christ. But God is not like us. He is far above us. That's what transcendence means. And then reverence is appropriate in our relationship with God. Now look over in Ecclesiastes 5. I think this is really helpful. And this gets really practical. Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, right after Proverbs, which is right after Psalms. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. My wife was reading this the other day in her quiet time, and she commented on this passage because it's so striking. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know, what, that, they are, uh, do not know that they are doing evil. Be not, verse 2, rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, you are on earth. God is transcendent, you're not. Everybody see that? God is in heaven, and you're on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. In other words, because God is transcendent, there should be an awe and a reverence and a fear of him in our lives. Now, is there joy for the Christian? Yes. Is there peace? Absolutely. We'll talk about that some more in a moment. We get to eminence. But we need to understand that God is God and we are not. And because he is transcendent, he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our reverence. So there's this balance in the Christian life. Yes, we want to have joy. And, and yes, we want to have this, this intimate relationship with God. But don't ever let your, your relationship with God get to a place where you're no longer reverent. Where you no longer stand in awe of who He is. Because He's God. He's the one that spoke the universe into existence. He put the, the stars in their places and knows them all by name. He deserves our reverence. Sometimes churches, talking about corporate worship, can just get downright silly. It's, it's, all, it's all about being casual and all about, you know, uh, it's almost, almost, you know, the message can always, almost be like a stand-up routine and everybody's chummy and everybody's just kind of happy, happy, happy. And, and that's, that's, that's okay. I'm, I'm all for happy. I'm all for joy. I'm all for fun. I, I like to laugh. And we have our lighter moments when we're together. But, but there's got to be a place. There's got to be a place, doesn't there, in corporate worship for reverence? 
If, if you go to church and you leave and you haven't been reverent, then you don't understand who you're going to worship. Maybe you were there for you and not for Him. Because if you go to church and you're there to worship Him, there will be this sense of awe in your life. Because God is transcendent, reverence is appropriate in our relationship with Him. Let your words be few. And then, this is the last implication of transcendence. We can look for the transcendent working of God in our world. There's this amazing reality that God who is above everything, God who is great and His greatness is unsearchable, there are times when God chooses in His power and glory to intervene in human affairs. And we have every right to look for Him to do that, to move in supernatural ways in our midst. Look over in Luke chapter 4. I love this story. Verse 37. Luke chapter 4, verse 37. Let's see. That's not the right passage. Hold on one second. I wrote it down wrong. Where is that verse? I'll find it in a moment. But uh, in Luke... Oh, here it is. Luke 9. I'm sorry, I wrote it down wrong. Look in Luke 9. Luke 9, verse 37. And on your notes, mark out 4 and put 9, alright? It says in Luke nine thirty-seven: On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. That's the Mount of Transfiguration. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. How many of you understand that Satan and his demons want to destroy your kids? And it says there in verse 40, And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy instantly. He, he, Jesus reigns over demons. Amen? And he gave him back to his father. He healed the boy, gave him back to his father. And I love verse 43. When I read this in my quiet time recently, it just jumped off the page at me. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. You know where they were astonished? They saw a glimpse of transcendence. They saw the great God of the universe intervene in human affairs, and they were astonished. And so I think that we have every right to be on the lookout and ask God to move in mighty supernatural ways around us, and we see Him move, we can stand astonished at His majesty because transcendence has come down to do something on this earth. We can look to the, for the transcendent working of God in our world. And so, that's transcendence. God is what? Above us. Now, let's talk for a minute about eminence and, 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 and kind of talk about how these two things relate, and then we'll close down and I'll take some questions. 
let's define what I mean by eminence. We've talked about it. God is above us, is transcendence. God is beside us, is eminence. But let's look at a, a more formal definition. Grudem says, God is also, in addition to transcendence, he's also very much involved in creation. For it is continually dependent on him for its existence and its functioning. The God of the Bible is no abstract deity removed from and uninterested in his creation. The Bible is the story of God's involvement with his creation and particularly the people in it. So, Gruda makes a point here that even though God is, God is high above the created order, he, his greatness is unsearchable, he chooses to interact with his creation and particularly humanity. And that is called eminence. Or let me just give it to you like this. Even though God is transcendent and infinite, he chooses to draw near. He chooses to draw near. And that's awesome, isn't it? Because in, in a group this size, I can almost guarantee you that there's someone in here saying, does God really care about me? Well, I can't tell you how I've heard this in different ways through my years as a pastor. Somebody making a comment like this. You know, I got some issues, but God's too busy running the universe. And he's got more important things to focus on. I don't want to take my little stuff to him. He doesn't care about my little stuff. The Bible tells us a very different story. That God absolutely cares about our stuff. And even though he is exalted and transcendent and infinite and majestic, he loves to draw near to you and to me. And that's an incredible reality. Now here's the question I want to answer. I'm going to spend the rest of our time answering this question. How does God draw near? How does God draw near? Well, I give, I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven answers to that question. Six answers to that question. Because it talks about how God actually is imminent. How His imminence is known in our life. First of all, He sustains the universe. He sustains the universe. And by that I mean God holds everything together. Let me show you this in a couple of passages. Look over in Job chapter 12. Right before Psalms, you got the book of Job. Job chapter 12. This is Job speaking. And in verse 10, Job says, In his hand, the Lord's hand, in his hand is the life of every living thing. Do you hear that? Every living thing. and the breath of all mankind. Do you know why you just drew a breath? Because God wanted you to. Do you know why your heart just beat? Because God chose for your heart to beat in that moment. God not only spoke the universe into existence, but He actively holds it all together. So is that really accurate? Well, look over in Colossians with me. Colossians chapter 1. This speaks of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead. This is in the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And in Colossians chapter 1, look what it says in verse 16. For by Him, by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things. Everyone say all. All is a small word with big implications. All things, he says, I lost my place, were created through him and for him. 
And, verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So not only did the Lord create everything, but he is actively keeping it together. Look over in Hebrews chapter 1. Just keep turning in the New Testament. You get to the book of Hebrews, right before James. Hebrews chapter 1, again speaking of Christ, the second person of the Godhead, it says, in verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Charles Spurgeon famously said that there's not a rogue molecule in the entire universe. God upholds them all. And so God sustains the universe. He holds everything together. And so God could just stay distant and uninvolved and let let the universe descend into chaos, but he holds it all together for his purposes. And this is important because... There is a, an old belief, and it's still around in some forms today, called deism. And deism teaches that, that God kind of created, but he kind of wound it up like a clock, and he set it down, and now he's kind of back with his arms, arms folded, watching everything kind of wind down. He's, he's kind of distant and disinterested in what happened to his creation. And the Bible, again, paints a very different picture. He holds it all together. You're breathing. Your heart is beating. You're here tonight because of what he's doing. He holds it all together. He sustains. Secondly, he speaks. He speaks. How do we know that God desires to be near to us? Because he, because he has spoken to us in his word. God has revealed himself through creation the Bible says the, the created order declares the glory of God. Conscience, we all have a conscience, a sense of right and wrong that comes from a moral lawgiver, the Lord. And he's revealed himself through his word, the Bible. He speaks. Carl Henry says, Revelation is God's unmasking of himself. His voluntary act of disclosure, it comes from eternity, from beyond an absolute boundary that separates man from God. So he's saying he's transcendent and unknowable, but God has taken off his mask of unknowableness to tell us some things about himself. And I love this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, great English preacher of the middle 1900s. He writes, Our only hope of knowing God truly is that he should be graciously pleased to reveal himself to us. And the Christian teaching is that God has done that. So clearly the first doctrine which we have to consider together is the biblical doctrine of revelation. I cannot arrive at God by my own unaided efforts. I am dependent upon God revealing himself. The question is, has he done so? The answer is yes, he has, and the Bible tells us about this. There's a famous illustration about uh, a philosopher told about a watchmaker. He said, you can walk down a beach and you can find a watch laying on the beach. And you can pick it up and say, you know, this watch is well designed and it works beautifully. There, there was a master craftsman that made this watch and, 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 and developed it and put it together and, and, and made it look nice. I mean, there, there was a designer, a a, a manufacturer, a builder, a creator of this watch. And you can know all that just by looking at the watch, holding it in your hand, right? You know it's designed and made. But you would know nothing about 
the watchmaker unless you met him and he told you some things about himself, right? So you and I can walk outside and look around and say, there's a designer behind all of this. The waves and the, the mountains and the plains and the rivers and the valleys and, 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 and the, the stars and the moon and the gravitational pull and the tides and the sun and the tilt of the earth on its axis, which is perfectly designed to sustain life on this planet. You could just go on and on and say, there is a designer behind all of this. There has to be. Romans 1 says the the creation speaks of his invisible attributes. You can say, someone big has done all this. Someone big has made all this. Someone powerful is behind all this. But you wouldn't know nothing about him unless he spoke and told you some things about himself, right? That's why, listen to me, don't miss me here, Don't, don't tune me out. That's why the Bible is so precious. The Bible is transcendent God drawing near. It's God telling us some things about himself so we can know who he is, know what he's like, know that we've fallen short of his glory, and know how we can be reconciled to him and live our lives for his glory. That's what the Bible is about. If it were not for the special revelation of the word of God, we would all be lost and without hope. We would have no idea what to make of life, what to make of death, what to make of eternity, what to make of, 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 of purpose and meaning. and we, we would have no idea where to find fulfillment and, and, and joy. And, and we would just live a life of, of meaninglessness and, and vanity and emptiness if it were not for the Word of God. But God has spoken. He's answered these huge philosophical questions out there like, Why am I here? Who made me? Those kinds of questions. What happens after I die? How can I know what happens after I die? How can I have hope for what happens after I die? These huge questions are answered in the Word of God. And God cares so much about you that He has given you His Word. He's drawn near by speaking. It's an amazing reality. Listen to me. Don't don't go home and put your Bible on the shelf. Don't wait till Sunday to, to pick it up and look into it. This is God, the transcendent God of the universe, speaking to you. Every time you get it up, get it off the shelf and you open it up and and you read, God is personally addressing you. That's amazing, isn't it? Incredible. Don't take your Bible for granted. It is God being imminent. It is God drawing near. Not only does God sustain and speak, but God saves. He saves. Listen to what it says in Psalm 145, back to the passage that speaks of His his eminence. Psalm 145, verse 19. It says, He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. And so God is a saving God. And here's what I mean by that. The transcendent God who is beyond searching out because he's so big and so great and so high, the transcendent God becomes knowable 
through his son, Jesus Christ. So God is not disinterested in you and in creation. He's chosen to send his son because he loves you so his son could die for your sins and my sins and then rise from the grave so that if we will turn to Christ and place our faith in him and ask him to save us, he brings us into a relationship with transcendent God. And God, who is so far above us, becomes knowable in a personal way. That's why I love to say that Christianity, biblical Christianity, is not a religion. It's a relationship with Almighty God made available through Jesus Christ. So how does God draw near? He saves. He makes a relationship with himself available. He says it like this over in John 1.12. To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to them that believe on his, Jesus' name. You want to know God? You want to be able to call him Father? You want to have a personal relationship with him where you talk to him and he hears you? Where you walk with him and know he's with you every step of the way? Listen to me. Call out on Jesus. He'll save you and he'll give you that relationship. That's why the Bible says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with God, he wants you to know him He sent his son because he loves you and wants to save you and wants to call you his child. So right now, or or maybe at some quiet spot tonight, just get alone. and, and, And in the quietness of your heart, just cry out to God and say, Jesus, would you save me? Would you come into my life and be my Lord and my forgiver? And I want to follow you and I want you to change me. And he will. And you know the the best thing it is about salvation? You get God. Transcendent God becomes knowable, a relationship with God. And, and hear me, we're, we're teaching this to our kids right now because it's so hard, we are bombarded with stuff, right? We're trying to teach our kids, listen, stuff won't satisfy. You think it will. You think it will. You, you think that stuff is going to satisfy you, but it won't. Only God will satisfy you. And you can only have that relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way to be saved. So how does God draw near? He sustains the universe, he speaks, he saves. But, but next, he supplies. Mr. Robertson has to hear this twice. Right, Mr. Robertson? I spoke at Wesley Meadows last night. I shared some of this with them. I'm giving you the longer version tonight, though, right? So he has to hear this twice, but just keep amen. It's going to be good. It's going to be all right. All right. He supplies. And by that, I mean he provides for our needs. Look what it says in Psalm 145, verses 15 and 16. Because remember, it's talking about uh, verse 3. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Look what it says in verses 14 and 15. The Lord upholds all who are falling, raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you. You give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. So God is a provider. And if you are his child, the Bible teaches that he supplies all of your needs and all of my needs according to his riches in glory. Now, God doesn't always give us our wants, does he? Because God is smarter than us. Can I get an amen? And some of the things we want will destroy our lives. And so like a loving Heavenly Father, He doesn't always give us what, what we want, right? You know, we know as parents that when your kid wants that 15th cookie, might not be good for their health, right? So you say, that's enough cookies. That's enough. They want it, but it's not what's best for them. And, and sometimes what we want is not best for us. And, and, and God knows that. He's wise. But listen to me. 
He will provide for your needs. He is your Father. He cares about, listen to me, He cares about the intricate details of your life. He does. He cares about your mortgage payment. He he cares about, uh, about grocery shopping. He cares about you having clothes to wear and and relationships to, to nurture you. He cares about that stuff. He, he, he cares about you. He, he knows how many hairs are on your head, the Bible says. He cares. You know what it says over in, in Psalm 156? It says that he captures our tears in a bottle. In other words, there's not a tear that streams out of our eye, down our cheek that God is not aware of. And he knows what produced that tear, and he cares. He is a supplying, a providing God. He provides for our needs. Next, how does God draw near? He safeguards. By that I mean He protects us from harm. Look what it says in verse 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling, raises up all who are bowed down. Verse 20, the Lord preserves all who love Him. There's this idea of preservation, protection, safeguarding. He protects us from harm. Now, I'm about to give you an amazing statement. And really, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's a way to kind of summarize the entire Bible when it comes to this issue. And it's really amazing. You ready for it? Nothing can touch your life unless God allows it. And Romans 8.28 says that God works everything together for our good to those that love Him, to those called according to His purpose. So, here's what that means. If God allows something hard in your life, He has a purpose for it. And somehow, transcendent, great, majestic, powerful, all-knowing God is going to use that hardship for your ultimate good. Isn't that amazing? So, He's always protecting you from harm. And if He does allow something difficult in your life... It's because he has a purpose for it. You can trust him. He's always watching over us. And I think when we get to heaven and we look back over our lives and God just kind of lifts the curtain a little bit, allows us to see some things, I believe we're going to be amazed at how much God's hand of protection was on our lives. I think this is something that's kind of indiscernible. We don't realize how often God protects us. Let me give you an example, an illustration one day, my second son, Caleb, when he was a little guy, he's nine now, but he was a little guy, and we'd gotten him one of those uh, electric John Deere little uh, toys. Well, I, I, that's not right. My parents got him the John Deere toy. All right. And, and he, he was driving that thing in the driveway and just having a ball. Just had to pedal to the metal, all right? And I was walking along beside him, just, just watching him, protecting him, you know, just to make sure he didn't get any harm. And he was headed right for my bumper of my truck. And the bumper's about head high. And so if he would have run in that thing, it would have really hurt him. But I was watching. I, I saw it coming. So you know what I did? I just kind of nudged him with my leg, just kind of nudged him and, and just kind of turned the vehicle just a few degrees. And he just went right past my truck and had a big time. He had no idea that his father had nudged him to the right. He just knew he was having a great time. He had no idea that I had spared him from sure pain and harm. And I wonder how many times in our lives God is there right beside us with his ministering angels, as it says in Hebrews, and he just kind of nudges us one way or another 
so that we can steer clear of certain harm and pain and destruction. I bet it's a lot more than we realize. Amen? And so how does God draw near? He, he watches over us. Listen to me. He is watching over you right now. So the Bible teaches. Watching over you right now. He cares about you. And then the, the final way that God, God draws near, and this is not exhaustive, but the final one I'm going to give you tonight. He sustains the universe. He speaks. He saves. He supplies. He safeguards. And last, He strengthens. He strengthens. It says there in verse 14, The Lord upholds all who are falling, raises up all who are bowed down. When I say that God strengthens, I mean that He helps us to live lives of purpose and obedience for His glory. He helps us to live lives of purpose and obedience for His glory. And here's the deal. You cannot live a life of purpose and a life of obedience for the glory of God in your own strength. Jesus said it in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. You're not going to bear fruit, Jesus said, if you're not connected to me. You're not going to bear fruit without my help. You're not going to bear fruit without my strength, without the wherewithal that I give you. And here's what God does because he loves you. He will give you daily strength for the journey. Daily strength to serve him. He'll give you what you need to do what he's called you to do. Where God guides, he provides, right? That's because he cares about you. He'll give you the strength that you need. You say, wait, I can't make it another day. I don't know how I'm going to take another step forward because of what's going on in my life. God will give you what you need. He'll give you the strength that you need. Just trust him. Lean on him like you've never leaned on him before. Call on him like you never called on him before. He'll give you what you need. God is a God who, who gives us strength for the day. And so, God is transcendent. His greatness is unsearchable. He is big. He's over the creation. He's, he's over the universe. And yet, He loves us. And He draws near. And that's what we mean by God being imminent. So here's the application. Two things, and, and we're done. Number one, stand in awe of His greatness. I hope tonight that this study, and, and I hope in the coming weeks this study will help refocus you upon your great God. That you will just, just remember anew and afresh how glorious He is. And that you'll gaze on His power and gaze on His wisdom and gaze on His beauty and understand that He alone satisfies. And that that will be an encouragement to you in the coming days. Stand in awe of His greatness. I I believe, listen to me, I believe Christians need to recapture the awe. Need to recapture the awe. There's this line in in the song, um, a Revelation song, Carrie Job sings it. We've sung it many times here in church. There's a line in there, every time I sing it, I think, it's not where I am. It's where I want to be, that's not where I am. Here's what she says in that song. And here's how the, 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 the words go, the lyrics. Filled with wonder, awestruck wonder at the mention of your name. There are times I'm filled with wonder and awestruck wonder. There's times I'm just going through the motions. How about you? But oh, I want to see God clearly and I want a fresh vision of Him and and I want to be so focused upon Him and His glory that I am filled with awe-struck wonder at the very 
mention of his name. That would change things, wouldn't it? So stand in awe of his greatness. Here's the second application, and we're through. Enjoy his nearness. Enjoy his nearness. He loves you. He's there, present with you. The Bible says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said, I'll be with you to the ends of the age. He's there. He's with you. He's ministering to you. He's providing. He's protecting. He's he's watching over. He's he's speaking to you. He's, he's, He's giving you strength. He's there. He's holding it all together. He's making your heart beat and your lungs breathe. He's there. Enjoy His nearness. Thank God that He's present with you in your life. The God who is great and mighty has drawn near.